In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all those up through the 12th grade please come forward. <coughs> Look, even after this long, even waiting all this long, watch. <laughs> Some people can just do that. See if you can do it. Oh, you can! Way to go! Way to go! Good one. So, let me just say something about, about Jesus, and especially when we listen to the gospel today, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. He's up on a mountain, and all these people are gathered around, and he's teaching them. No, not on the tip of the mountain, but he's up on the mountain because when you, when you speak down, you can be heard better. They didn't have microphones and things in those days. And so they had all these people there, and Jesus is up on the mountain speaking down at the people. Uh, and, and he's teaching them something that the world just doesn't like very much. In fact, what Jesus did is he taught, he taught upside-down things from what we know. Right? Jesus... I mean, the, the world teaches us, you know, get out there and make all the money you can make and be the best person you can be and, and be better than everybody else. And if anybody gets in your way, just kick them out of the way. But Jesus said what? No. no. Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor, right? So what Jesus is doing, he's turning the whole world and the way we understand upside down. He's turning the world upside down. Not that way. But he's turning the world upside down. You know, we, we say people ought to get a trophy. Do you think Christ, uh, the best Christian in this church ought to get a trophy? No. No. And, and how would you pick that person anyway, right? Because who, who knows the heart? Me? No. No. Who does? God. God knows the heart. And so, I mean, if anybody were to get a trophy, God would give them that trophy and in fact, in fact, all those who love the Lord and really try to walk in his ways, all those who believe in Jesus will get a trophy. You know what our trophy is? Our reward is to be with God, not only in heaven, but right now our whole lives will be joyful because we know the Lord, even if, even if it's raining cats and dogs outside. <laughs> right even if it's raining our hearts are going to be joyful because we know the lord even in the midst of of hurt and loneliness and those sorts of things our hearts are going to be joyful because we know the lord that's our reward and one of the wonderful benefits of knowing the lord is that we are going to be with the lord forever because we know him and we're practicing learning how to know him now and so that when we get to heaven, we can be with him forever and know him forever. Right? You know, I don't want to be a Christian and love the Lord so I can get to heaven, even though I do want that, right? I want to be a Christian and love the Lord because that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to love him. 
like he loves us. And one of the benefits is we get to be with him forever because we love him. Like a, that's our trophy. The biggest trophy in the world. And it won't be like gold and silver. It'll be being with God, right? Yeah. What do you think about that? Turning our world upside down. The, the world's going to teach you some things that are not in, in, in line with the teachings of Jesus. So be careful about that as you grow up. The world's going to teach you to go after things. and I mean, it's okay to go after things. It's okay to be your best. God wants us to be our best. But don't step on other people when you do it. And don't hate other people. And don't murder other people. And don't do things that are, are not right. But do what Jesus teaches us to do. Always, always pay attention to what Jesus teaches. When someone tells you something and your conscience tells you, I don't know about that. Listen to what Jesus says, okay? All right. Okay. Thank you for coming up. If you want to get a packet, you can get a packet from Mr. Music right over here. Thank you, Connor. <laughs> Good job. So the pilot. Pilot's voice comes over the intercom, mid-flight, screaming, mayday, mayday, the plane is going to crash. Now listen up, there are only four parachutes on this plane and there are five of us, so you guys decide who's staying on the plane, but I'm jumping. And with that, the pilot grabs a parachute and leaves the doomed plane. The doctor comes before the other passengers of the plane and says, you know, as a doctor, I've used my medical skills to save hundreds of lives, and if I escape, I will be able to save hundreds more. And the rest of the passengers, satisfied with his response, they let the doctor grab a parachute and jump out of the plane. The lawyer, very disturbed, comes before the preacher and the boy who remain and says, as a lawyer, I've used my legal knowledge to crack hundreds of cases, and I am probably the smartest man in the world so I deserve to live. And before the boy and the preacher can react, the lawyer grabs the parachute and jumps out of the plane. The preacher comes before the boy, gets on one knee and shows, puts his hand on the boy's shoulder and says, son, as a preacher, I've lived a long life and beautiful, I've lived a long, beautiful life in service of the Lord. And I have no doubt that when this plane crashes, I will be taking my place at my father's table. You have your entire life ahead of you, so you take the last parachute and jump. And unfazed by this, the little boy hands the preacher the parachute and says, don't worry, take this one. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out. Oh, that was funny. We live in a hustle-bustle kind of world, always on the go. We very seldom slow down. And when we do slow down, we kind of feel guilty about that at times. Someone once said that in order for us to balance our lives, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, our minds, everything about us, we should live life at about 500 RPMs. 
And the problem with this is that most of us, we move around and live life at about 5,000 RPMs, speeding around at 10 times the rate we should be living life. And the most interesting thing about all of this is that we are most probable to meet God or have an experience of, with the Lord of life when we are settled down to maybe 50 RPMs. And that's what I want to talk about today, meeting God. How and when and where do we meet God and how and when and where does God meet us? Usually what I find is that when we want to meet with God, we set up a special time or go to a special place like church on our time schedule, expecting God to be at our disposal. We make the arrangements expecting God to follow our plans. And that's really not all bad because we do have to take the time and go to the places where we are most likely to meet our Lord. We do have to posture ourselves. We do have to be open and prepared to meet God. And it is a good thing to practice spiritual disciplines, whether we feel like practicing those disciplines or not, so that we can be ready to meet God when he comes to us. And so what I want to do for the rest of this sermon is to give you some, of, some examples from my own experiences. And I know that you all have your experiences as well, but these are times when I've been able to meet God and times when God has met me. And my hope is that you will be able to relate to these experiences that I talk about and maybe gain a better understanding of what it means to meet God in your lives. You know, many years ago, probably back in the 80s, I tried to count back, but I wasn't quite sure. There were a group of young men, us, several of us, met for a number of years and we, were, and we called ourselves the Sons of St. Joseph. It, we, we met on a weekly routine. We would gather at the church, usually from our workplaces on a Tuesday evening, and we would have evening prayer together, and then we would go to dinner somewhere, different places, and we would share our lives, and we would pray together, and we would hold each other accountable for our Christian living. It was not always fun, it was not always easy. I drove 45 minutes from work to get there, then another 45 minutes the other way to get home afterwards. It was not always exciting. Many times it was dull. Many times it was very routine. Most times I had no feelings of meeting God in those moments. Today I look back those 45 years ago and I see God's hand of grace upon that period of time. And I cherish those moments and those friendships. I recognize the spiritual growth which took place in the midst of some very challenging relationships and in the midst of the challenging, dull routines. We gathered weekly so as to meet God in that routine and in those relationships. And again, I don't remember having had a whole lot of experiences of having God met me then and there. But because of those experiences, God has met me in my memories and in my experiences today through those past experiences 
and because of those past experiences. And I am touched by his grace through those times past of being obedient to the discipline I practiced at that time. The lesson learned, we do what we are called to do as Christians in our time, in our place, and we leave the rest to God to do what God wants to do in his time and in his place. Another experience of meeting God, most mornings I get up between 5 and 6 o'clock, and before I even get out of bed, I will pray the daily office, most of it's memorized, including the canticles, which are all from Scripture. And then I'll get my cell phone out and try to keep the light from shining on Mary, who's still asleep. And I'll hear about it every now and then. And I'll read one chapter from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament, which are our lectionary readings. So before I even get out of bed, I posture myself to meet God. Most mornings I find this routine to be very refreshing, very peaceful, very quiet and sacred and holy. Most mornings I do not meet God in that quiet time. I do see God in and through the scriptures. I do speak to God in and through my prayers, but I usually have no great religious experience to speak about. However, during the rest of the day, because I had practiced that particular spiritual discipline, God comes to meet me in the very ordinary circumstances of my life, and I am touched by the grace of God. Lesson learned. We do what we are called to do as Christians in our time, in our place, and we leave the rest to God to do what God wants to do in his time and in his place. Another experience of meeting God, even though I have been negligent for a time and a half, I love to walk for exercise. And what do I do to occupy myself when I walk? I pray. Or sometimes I'll just go through my memorized scripture to kind of keep that going because if I don't keep it going I tend to lose it so Philippians 2 or Romans 8 or John gospel of John 1 2 or 3 and then I'll learn others as well and I'll go over those but if I'm praying you know it's it's, it's a quiet time I'm by myself the wind is in my face I don't overly exert myself and when I'm praying I take the time to visualize each one of you and your families usually by the service and by where you're sitting. I pray for you by name, your, the parents and the children and the widow and the widowers, the husbands and the wives, the brothers and the sisters, the college kids, the young, the old, all of you. And I never run out of names. I don't have a piece of paper that I'm reading from. I don't have your names on myself. I probably do, but I don't use my cell phone. The names, they just keep coming to me. And I let them pass through my mind into the heart of God. And somehow that feeds me. And somehow I meet God when that happens. People ask me how I remember names so well. Well, one reason is, is it really is a gift from God because I don't do that uh, on my own. But the other is because I pray your name so very often. And the lesson I learned is that we do what we are called to do as Christians in our time, in our place. 
and we leave the rest to God to do what God wants to do in his time and in his place. One last experience of meeting God. Most of you know that I arrive very early at church on Sunday mornings. I'm usually at the donut shop on Champions Forest by 5.15. I have them all ready for me. I pick them up. And if it's not raining, <laughs> it was this morning. Um, I come in and I unlock the doors and then I turn on all the lights and I turn on the sound system and I make sure the altar guild did their job and they always do. And while I'm doing all these chores, I am praying for the congregation as a whole, not by name, but as a whole, that, that God's spirit will do wonderful things this morning. And then at 6.45, every Sunday morning in my office, with whoever might join me, usually the clergy person from the 7.30 service, like Kathy did this morning, um, or usually Deacon Jennifer, but she's out of town, we pray that God in his goodness will awaken each one of you on that particular morning as you begin your pilgrimage to this holy place and anyone else who might join us here on any particular Sunday morning. And we pray that God will fill you with a joyful and expectant heart filled with faith. We pray that God will surround and fill this place with his holy and mighty spirit. We pray that God will bless each and every person who is acting in ministry on any particular morning. Our altar guild, our choirs, our lectors and Eucharistic ministers, our safety team, our clergy, our greeters, our ushers, our Sunday school teachers, our sound technicians, our videographers, our staff, our nursery coordinator. We pray for all the different ministries going on in this place every Sunday morning, everyone involved in ministry. And I'll tell you what, I usually do not meet God in my prayers at those times, but there are other times when God meets me because of those prayers. I can share all kinds of experiences of God meeting me, and I know you can share experiences as well. You know, I can be standing here at the altar rail during communion, waiting for the next group of people to come by as we distribute communion. And all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed by God the Holy Spirit. And I don't know of another word that might describe what I'm feeling. Maybe the next best word that comes to me is the word humble. I am humbled. This kind of experience happens from time to time but I have no control of when it might happen, when God overwhelms me like this. It just happens whenever God chooses to meet me. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was standing here next to the altar rail when all of a sudden I had a tremendous feeling of humility and of God's presence as I watched each of you coming forward to the altar rail. And there I am, standing as a representative of God, his priest, knowing full well that it is my ministry to take God's hand and to take your hand and to bring them together. That's what a priest does. That's why I was ordained. And at communion, there is no moment in my ministry where this is more true. I have the real presence of God in my hand and I place the real presence of God into your hand and at that moment, you are closest in communion with God. This is what our Anglican Catholic theology has taught for 2,000 years. And just as an aside, this past week I had a pleasant visit with someone in my office. And this person was talking about 
about the Baptist church she grew up in and about how they always had altar calls asking people to come forward to receive Christ into their lives. And she suggested not in a complaining way at all, but she suggested that we don't have that in our Anglican tradition. And I told her, well, in one sense, you are right. But in another sense, we do indeed have an altar call every single time we have Holy Eucharist. Every time someone comes to the communion rail to receive the body and blood of Christ into their hands, into their bodies, we are taking Christ into our lives. And I, as one of the clergy, have the privilege and the honor of being an instrument to help make that happen, which brings me back to my point. There are times when I am almost brought to tears as I watch each of you coming forward to receive the sacrament, to receive the fullness of God into your lives. And I see you walking toward this throne of grace, this holy table, and I know full well, having been allowed to share in most of your lives, all of the brokenness I know about you and all of the joy I know about you. It comes flooding into my memory. I know that some of you are fighting cancer, and I know that some of you are celebrating the blessing of a new birth, and I know that some of you are grieving over the loss of a loved one, and I know that some of you are afraid of growing old, and I know that some of you have spent a whole day sitting in the hospital caring for someone you love. I know that some of you are trying to deal with your anger. I know that some of you are joyful because of your new marriage. I know that some of you are young and innocent. I know that some of you are suffering through marriage problems. I know that some of you are weary from caring for an aged parent. All these things I am privileged to know about you because you share these things with me. And I am brought to tears when I see you all, brothers and sisters in Christ, coming to the altar to receive Christ together into your lives, the same Christ who knows all of these things about us, about you and me. It is truly a taste of heaven when God presents himself like that. And I am humbled. The lesson learned. We do what we are called to do as Christians in our time, in our place, and we leave the rest to God for God to do what he wants to do in his time and in his place. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.